So I want to think about, in the perspective of uh, how Isaiah was feeling, um, Isaiah's circumstances, and then Isaiah's solution. And um, when we read this, um, it really is like modern day. It is like for us as Christians, um, what should be our response to the world? What should be our response to things of the world, um, whether it be, uh, you know, whatever it may be? Um, what should us as Christians, how can we make our life count? How can we stay on track? How can we uh, keep the main thing the main thing, right? Because ultimately, as we're going to read this encounter that Isaiah has, and this calling that's on Isaiah's life is basically the calling that all of us will have as Christians, but especially even us today as we face our times and as we face the things of this world. And so I want to read Isaiah 6. I'm going to read first uh, seven or eight verses, and uh, then I'm going to go back and uh, talk about, uh, actually I'm going to read all the way down to nine, and then uh, we'll go a little further of that. But uh, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house filled with smoke. Uh, so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity, iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So, as we open up these first uh, eight verses here, we, we see several things. But first, I want you to notice the condition uh, that Isaiah's story is in. And on a flat page, we really don't get this, but when it says in the year that King Uzziah died, um, you know, it looks or sounds like something that's, you know, not really a big deal. But this was a big deal. This was huge because uh, when King Uzziah died, um, it meant that this nation, um, under the rule of King Uzziah, um, was extremely wealthy. Um, they had accumulated and they had, uh, had more wealth than any other time uh, upon, in history. But materially, they were doing really, really great. But spiritually, uh, they were in a downward spiral. Um, they were almost to the point of being in shambles. And you see, King Uzziah had asked God, and he asked him that he, if he could uh, rule his kingdom, and that he would be a, a good king. But yet, King Uzziah, when he got older in his reign, and he became prosperous, he had forsaken God. And so, like many people and leaders, 
uh, once they begin to prosper, all of a sudden they forget um, who actually got them to the place of prospering, right? But in the Old Testament, you'll find out God didn't play around with that, all right? God did not play around with that. And so what God did was he struck him with leprosy. And, and King Uzziah died a, a horrible death. He died a death of a leper. And, and Isaiah was kind of like the Billy Graham. He was, he was friends with him, and yet he was still a spiritual role model, but he was still friends with and, and knew King Uzziah, and he had a, he had a common goal for his people um, but he was in close contact with him. So when it said the affairs, uh, uh, when it said King Uzziah died, it totally shook the affairs or shook the nation to the core. It rocked him because uh, and his life was in turmoil. Uh, and, and now Isaiah, uh, his world was turned upside down, meaning that everything that he felt comfortable in was all of a sudden shaken. And all of a sudden, everything he trusted in all of a sudden was shaken. And in the midst of this turmoil and confusion, Isaiah has a vision of God. And it's almost like this time of trouble, God arrested Isaiah's spirit and rushed him into another realm. And you know, for us as Christians, you know, it's important for us as we go through the earthly view of what's happening in the world Let's be sure that we are in tune with God's Spirit to see the heavenly view of what's going on. Let, let's be sure to look at it how God looks at it, how God can open His eyes. And, and really what Isaiah saw was amazing. I mean, Isaiah, when he had this vision, um, he, he sees uh, God high and lifted up. And so in the midst of troubles and trials unrest, God did a work in Isaiah that changed him for the rest of his life. It, it changed who he was, and it changed how he was. And, and I would probably dare to say up to this point, Isaiah was probably lukewarm. You know, he was probably straddling both sides of the fence because things were good. He, he had a little bit of the world, but yet he had just enough knowledge about God that he, he felt like he was doing well. And so he probably was straddling the fence. And, and he really wasn't too concerned about the sins of the world because, or his nation at that time or, or in his community because he was comfortable. Because he, he would enjoy some of the things that they would enjoy. Not, not so much to be involved with it, but yet he really wasn't sold out. And so now, all of a sudden, he's, he's shaken to the core and he sees this vision of God. God really arrests his heart. He, he really takes them and he shakes them up a little bit. And when he sees God for who he really is, his whole life is turned upside down. He, he, he is ushered into the throne room of God. And yet here he is, he sees the, this, this vision of God. This, this God of, of, of where it says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And his train of his robe filled the temple. Now, when you think of uh, God, you know, a lot of times we think of God as on our level. But when you see Isaiah, he sees that God was not on our, is not on our level. He was never on our level. He is sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Uh, recently, when the space shuttle um, went into outer space, um, when they got so far up, they took a picture of Florida. I mean, you see Florida in this, in this picture. Um, there are several things you don't see. You, you don't see houses, you don't see people, you don't see streets, you don't see jails, you don't see none of that. 
what you see is the beautiful lakes, and you see the beautiful ocean, and you see the beautiful land, and you see all these parts of it, and you really realize that just from that elevation, how small Florida really looks. And, and, and when you see it from that perspective, that you see it from God's perspective, how much more smaller can it really be? And what we feel like is such a big deal and it is unattainable and it's out of control, God sees perfect order. God is high and lifted up. He is in charge. He is on his throne. Notice that. He is not wringing his hands. He's not asking how he's going to replace Uzziah. He is not worried about his people. He is not worried about his plan. No, it says he's high and lifted up and he's on the throne. He's on the throne. And then as you go through the rest of it, he says not only that, but he looks to Isaiah's life and he says, and so Isaiah, after he sees this uh, holiness of God and this high view of God, he says, woe is me for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. So immediately as he's ushered out of this apathy, as he's ushered out of this lukewarmness and he comes into contact with who God really is, guess what Isaiah does? He repents. He, he looks to his life now and he says, woe is me. Like, like I was just cruising along and thinking everything was okay and normal in my life. And now I've really encountered God for who he is. And woe is me. Like, like for us, when we come to sin in our world um, and, and we see sin in our world and we sin, see sin in our country, first and foremost, we must see sin in our own life. And as it begins to shock us or it begins to move in our hearts, it should shock us. It should change the way we view things. And, and you know, you see all different agendas being played out, but behind, behind all of it is the agenda of sin, is the agenda of the prince of the world. And for us, as we have gone along, we have played along with, you know, movies that we didn't align with. People who was not totally sold out for God. Churches who wasn't preaching the true gospel. Uh, leaders who would say the name they were Christians to get your vote, but yet they really were not Christians at who they were at their core. Uh, uh, communities led by people who had no standards and trust in God, but yet we were fine with it. Because everything was okay. Everything was going well. We kind of had one foot with the people and one foot with God and thought, this isn't that bad. We're comfortable. We're okay with it. It's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But yet, when we really see God for who he is and understand how we are, the first thing we need to do is look to our hearts. And immediately, when Isaiah looked to his heart, he says, whoa, 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 woe is me. I am a sinful man. And, and immediately, not only did that, he said, not only me, but he says, I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. So he says, first in me, I see sin, but now I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. You know, it shouldn't shock us that sinners sin, right? Like we, <laughs> the world is full of sinners. And when they sin, we are appalled or shocked by that. Listen, sinners are going to sin. And it doesn't matter who they are or what they look like. Sin is sin. And, and when we see these people, not only here, but like Isaiah says, I saw me as a sinner, but then I realized I'm in the midst of a whole group of unclean people and, and a whole group of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so, really, what you see here is Isaiah readjusting his scale or his standard. You see, as Christians and, and as moral people uh, in this world and some nominal Christians, if that's such a thing, they have begun to believe in what we call moral relativism. Like, they believe that um, the truth is variable, meaning that the truth varies upon your background or your experiences in life. Truth is really not truth. Truth is what's truth to you and your experiences. So sin to one person may not be sin to another person because it's based up to their experiences and what they believe. But as we know, truth matters. And God's word matter, matters and sin matters. And when we look to what Isaiah is saying, what he's saying is not only have I been a part of the problem, but also I see I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips because now that I see the standard again, I realize how serious the sin is. And it is not only just me, but it's a midst of all sorts of people with unclean lips. And then he sees it for who they are and he sees it for who he is. And then in verse 6, he see what happens is the one of the seraphim flew to me and having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. So here's the altar of God. It is burning with pure, um, perfect uh, fire. And he takes these tongs because un- the angel's unable to touch it. And so he takes it. And he brings it to him, and he touches his mouth with it, and he says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Now, when you read that, what is that such a, uh, such a great picture of? I mean, when you think about the holiness of God, and you think about the sinfulness of man, what's the only thing that can reconcile those two? Jesus Christ, Right? And it's amazing when people say there's no, you don't recognize Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. That's unbelievable because he's on every page. He's in every story. He's in every part of redemption. And right here when he says he takes this tongue of this coal from this holiness of God and he touches his lips, that's a picture of him getting saved. That's a picture of him committing his life to God. And it says that he, all of a sudden it says that he is washed. That he is, his iniquity is taken away and his sin has been purged. So now he has confessed his sin, he is forgiven of his sin, and now the scales fall off his eyes. That he is purged and he can see where he was wrong. He can see that he now sees with eyes that are, 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 are different, eyes that are seen through Christ, eyes that, have seen through, uh, that are seen through God. And in verse 8, so here's his response. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Is that not the clearest call in the Bible? He, he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. So us as Christians, when we really understand and we truly come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, what this is telling us is that we should have a high view of God. Meaning that everything in our life that does not line up with the sovereignty of God shouldn't be a part of our life. And if we have our experiences or we go by feelings or we go by uh, the events of the world, then we're going to be shaken to the core. But, but for us as Christians, we ought to see the higher view. 
we ought to see God in all of this. And we got to trust in God's hand and trust in God's sovereignty that no matter what we see in this world, even though it's shaken to the core, we have a high view of God who is high and seated on a throne and in complete control. Listen, when it all comes down to it, it's really who you're going to trust. Are you going to trust your situations and your circumstances? Are you going to trust your politicians or a Republican Party or a Democratic Party? Are you going to trust a, a, a leader or a pastor or a preacher? Or are you going to trust in God? Which one is it? I'm going to go for God. How about you? Right? Think about it. He, he's in control. He is, he is sovereignly in control. And man may wail and sinners may sin and the world may spiral out of control. But us as Christians, we should never lose the hope that we know God is in control. No matter what happens. And listen, we're going we're gonna to go through some tribulation. We're going to have some hard times. We're going to go through it. Some people say, well, how much tribulation do you think we're really going to have? Well, we're going to have enough that you're going to be ready to go when Christ comes, right? That you're going to be ready to go when God calls us home, all right? Trust me, everyone will be ready. And as Christians, we can't lose the view that when we go through tribulations or we go through national crisis or we go through all these problems, that we have to keep a high view of God. Meaning that if anything in our hearts give us angst or worry or fear, we got to take it to God. we got to go to God and we got to say, He's in control and I'm trusting completely in Him. And also, not only that, but we need to go, when it's time for us to go, we need to repent of some of our sins. When we are shaken, when we are fearful, when we are not as close to God as we should be, just like Isaiah, we need to repent. We, we need to trust in Christ more, not less. As in the solution to our problems and the solution to sin is Jesus Christ. He changes the heart. And it's such a beautiful picture here of not only salvation, but it's also a picture of rest, restored fellowship that as Isaiah was touched, that his sins was taken away, and his sins was purged. And for us as Christians, we need to go before the Lord, and we need to have our sins purged. We need to take, and have our iniquity taken away. And for some of us, this should challenge us to look at areas of our life and things that we associated with and, and decide that we're not going to do it anymore. That, that that is so steeped into the world, and it may be enjoyable, or it may be fun, or it might be a part of that makes you comfortable, but we know it's not godly. And when we adjust our scales to what God calls holy and what God calls unholy, maybe there are things that we need to repent of in our life that we've fallen into the world. And, and not, only, not only repenting and trusting in Christ, but also to have compassion for people around us. That, that immediately Isaiah was not judging the people around him. He was broken for the people around him. He says, woe is me, and also I live in the midst of all these other people who need God, all these other people who are wicked, all these other people who need the voice of truth, the, who needs to hear God's message. And listen, anything that comes from God will come with the compassion of God. If God, if you say God puts something on your heart, that leads to anger or violence or hate or murder, that didn't come from God. That's not from God. And no matter what you think that you're standing up for or what you think you're protecting or what you think that you, are, you have the right to do, if it's sin, God's not a part of it. Listen, and I'll say as Christians, if there's anything 
that is not based upon God, we shouldn't have anything to do with it. No man-made movement, no man-made solution, no, 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 uh, no earthly bound thing. Because what in common do we have with unbelievers? That's what the Bible says. We have nothing in common with unbelievers. We can have compassion, we can have pity, we can have, we can, we can have hope we can give them. But ultimately, we need to give them Christ. We need to give them God. And listen, I learned a long time ago, if you don't get God out there in the beginning, you sure ain't going to share it at the end. All right? I, I, I've heard, I fell for this lie when I was in college. And a lot of people said, well, you just got to be friends with them for a long time. And don't tell me you believe in God. And don't tell me you believe in Jesus. And don't tell me you believe in all this stuff. Because, you know, eventually... You can get around to tell them you believe in God. Well, all the dumb stuff that I did before I got to tell them about Jesus Christ, when I got to tell them about Jesus Christ, they went, man, and you've done all that stuff? <laughs> and you've done this and this and this? But, but it, I learned that if you give them God up front, it, it saves you a whole lot of pain. It saves you a whole lot of misery. Because when you become friends with me, you come through the cross of Jesus Christ and whoever I get influenced from in my life, if they're not godly, if they don't have the same principles, if they don't have God's word in their hearts and they're not teaching me God's word to hold me accountable to God, then I don't need them. They shouldn't be in my life. And listen, we can chase a lot of rabbits on both sides. You know, we could do a lot of things on, on both sides and the way people feel and the way people say and yet, if it doesn't include God as a supreme authority, if it doesn't include God to change hearts, if it doesn't include God as the focus, it's interesting because I was reading some on this this week. And in this specific context, this guy was talking about racial reconciliation. And he was talking as a Christian pastor. And um, he was talking about several things, but one of the things that he mentioned was um, that concerns him is that a lot of the racial reconciliation that he hears today or that he hears in modern um, terminology and sermons and different devotion stuff, he said it's all leads to man-centered. Like man ends up being the one who, is, who gives the justice. And, and he said he was alarmed by that. Because in, men, in man, there is no good thing. Like, like in your flesh, we are sinners, and we have all the sin in our hearts, and if it ends up being the supreme judge, we're all in trouble. Because what happens is that we're not God, and we are not 100% infallible, and when we have a chance to display or exhibit sin in our life or pride or injustice, we will do it. We will, we will do it. We are not God. And so he said that if you look to a lot of the Martin Luther King um, speeches, that justice was not rooted in man. Guess who it was rooted in? God. He said every time he talked about racial inequality, he always tied the justice back to God. Because when you come to any type of reconciliation, any type of differences, any type of, uh, of bringing people together, the ultimate rule and judge should be God, period. Because it's not something that's between two people, it's something between them and God. And if you're not right with God, you're not going to be right with people. I've said that many, many times. With the cross, you got to be right with God, then you can be right with people. You can never be right with people until you're right with God. 
Because you will always have your selfish agenda. You always have a sinful agenda. And Isaiah's heart was pure. He wasn't judging. He was just saying, God, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Much like Jesus when he came into Jerusalem. He was ready to go to the cross. And he looked at the mobs that was about to crucify him. He, he looked at this Roman soldiers that was going to stab the spear in his side. He looked at those who were going to forsake him, who was going to give him over to the Sanhedrin, who was going to charge him, who was going to beat him, who was going to have him put to death. And you know what he said? The Bible says Jesus wept. And he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's what he said. Man, let me tell you, it, it, when you get right with God and you understand his, his agenda and you get right with the Lord, when you look to other people, it's not a judgmental look. It's a compassionate look. It, it's a look that you see people without a shepherd and your heart breaks because first and foremost, they don't have a relationship with God. And when we see people like that, then we are ready to be used by God. Then we are ready to make our life count. And after God, uh, after Isaiah saw God and he, and he was repented and he was cleansed and he surrendered to the call of God, he says, here I am, send me. So he tells God, here I am, send me. And you know, a lot of people who get the call of God on their life is like, you know, answering their cell phone. They look to the caller ID and they go, nope, <laughs> right? I'm not going to answer that call. And they look again, nope, nope, and they just pass it on by like it's another call. But let me tell you, when God calls you, you better be ready to say, here I am, send me. No matter where it is or what it calls you to do, you better be ready to be used by God. But me and Josh were talking earlier, and like you said earlier, I added another you know, L to him. And I said, you got to lead him to the cross, but we also got to leave him at the cross, right? And what I mean by that is found right here in the story of Isaiah. You know, it's a great story all the way up to here. Isaiah is shaken in shambles. The nation is in fear. Isaiah sees God high and lifted up. He's purged. He's cleansed. He's ready. God says, go. Isaiah says, here I am. Send me all charged up, ready to go, right? Look what he says in the second part of verse 9. He said, go. Actually, in verse 9. He said, go and tell this people. Keep on hearing but they do not understand. Keep on seeing, but they do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they shall see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, but yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and will be for consuming as a terebinth tree, or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be in its stump. <laughs> it was saying, Isaiah, go, but the ears are already deaf, and the eyes have already cannot see. And he says, go. And Isaiah says, how long? And he says, until it's all gone, until it's all empty. But I'll leave a stump. I'm going to leave a remnant. And listen, for us as Christians, we're not going to be the majority. 
We're not going to be the majority. Listen, right now, I guarantee you on Facebook or even this building, 10, 15 people maybe listen to the truth of God, and they're out there in the same community, probably 150, 200,000 people listening to the news that probably not even telling the truth, right? Listening to stories, participating in comfort or other type of things that may not bring them closer to God, and yet it goes on life as usual because it doesn't really even affect their needle one way or the other. Because they, they, their ears won't hear and their eyes won't see and they won't see anything with you. And as Christians, when we stand and we argue and we argue and we argue and you argue, we don't argue as Christians. We witness. And we bring them to the cross and we leave them at the cross. Because there is no hope, like God says, other than God. There is no hope other than seeing him for who he is and restoring your heart. And as Christians, yes, it's tough, but yet we are called and we're living in this world. And we got to bring him to the cross and we got to leave him at the cross. Don't argue with them. Don't tell them that this person can make it better for their lives because they can't. Don't tell them that vote for this political party because it'll make it better. Vote for this or vote for that. Hey, God, God will take care of that. He is in control. He is high and lifted up. And above all, we need to be presenting Christ. Take him to the cross and leave him at the cross. Listen, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that's where we need to bring him. Not only lost people, but other Christians as well. Listen, you can't change hearts and neither can I. Listen, no political party can do it. No movement can do it. No, uh, no amount of people can do it. Only God can do it. And for us as Christians, the focus we got to have is on God. And listen, you fast forward that even tonight as we sit here and we have a Bible study and we hear the story of Isaiah, guess who's still sitting on the throne? All right, God is still on the throne. He, he is not out of control. He is not up there wringing his hands or pacing back and forth or he's not he's gonna he's not up there sleeping or gone on a journey as they said and he's not he's up there he's in control and for us as christians if we want to make our life count we don't need to look around we need to look up we need to look up and see god for who he is we need to repent of our own sin and then we need to look to others with compassion and lead them to the cross and leave them at the cross Listen, that should be our dying cry at all that we do. Here am I, Lord, send me. Share Christ and leave him there. And listen, for us as Christians, that's our, that's, our, that's our action. That's us as we answer the call. And if you want to make your life count, it's not going to be winning a social media battle. You're not going to win a social media battle. You know, there are professional people that are on social media to argue with other people. There really is. They get paid to do it. And, and listen, when we get into arguments that might lead us into the flesh and we start arguing with them and we might say something that we should not say, all it takes is a screenshot. That's it. And the next thing you know, they say, oh, this person says they're a Christian. This person says they believe God. Listen, even as a Christian, even as a church, uh, I noticed Facebook started auto-generating our closed caption. Do you know why? Oh, that was really nice of them in case somebody who is deaf can hear our services, right? No. That's so they could put it in their logarithm. And anything that's offensive to what they consider their standards, guess what's going to happen? A video will be deleted. 
because it's all about control. And so for us as Christians, it's not going to be in the world. It's not going to be through Facebook. It's not through social media. It's going to be through us loving God. And we're, for us repenting of our personal sin, for us having compassion on people, for us sharing the only hope that we have, which comes in Jesus Christ for all people, and then we need to leave it at the cross and say God has to change their hearts and lives. We don't need to argue. You don't have to fight. You don't have to get upset or debate. Witness. Share Christ and love the people. That's all we can do. Let's pray together.